The 3 1 to Big Poppy. In there for a strike. And now David is angry. Here comes John Farrell. Not to get David away. And I think he got to him just in the nick of time, David. Oh, now Farrell has been thrown out of the game. David Ortiz hopping Matt Hanley. Ramirez is over to move him away. The count three and two now. And John Farrell has been tossed out of the game. So one of the reasons that we started doing this message series is because so many times in our lives, we have people that focus on what our weaknesses are, whether it's an employer or someone that's critical of who we are. And so we become obsessed about our areas of weakness. And what would life be like if instead of focusing on our weak areas and our weak points, we actually focused on our strengths? Years ago, Rob Fuquay was the senior pastor at Williamson's Chapel. He had just moved in, and we had started talking about a continuing ed that I was going to go to and how I was going to you know, focus on goals and visions for the next year. And I told him that I was going to go to a retreat on church administration. I was going to go to a, a session on that. And he looked very puzzled at me. And he said, why would you do that? And I said, well, because that's what I really, really, really am bad at. And he said, why? That would be stupid. That would be a total waste of your time. He said, you know, you can always learn to be better at church administration. And thank goodness I have over the last 10 years, or we'd really be in trouble as a church. But he said, you're never going to be great at it. And that's what you do. You surround yourself with other people who do have those strengths and, and who are great at that. But probably you're not ever going to be. So why would you spend your time and your energy focusing on something that you're never going to be great at? Why don't you focus on what your strengths are instead? Well, today in corporate America, many people are using this thing called Clifton's Strengths Finder. I invite you to go to the West website, headingwest.org, and there is a link there on the bottom of our page. You can go take this. It costs about $20, but the report is, is so interesting, and many of you have shared your strengths with me over the past couple of weeks, and I've really enjoyed reading your reports. You get five key strengths when you get your report back, and it tells you what they mean. And so last week, we walked through what executing strengths were. Today, we're going to talk about influencing strengths. Today's message and last week's and the next two will be just a little different. It's more of a teaching message instead of a rah-rah, let's all feel good and warm and fuzzy about God. I mean, we will talk about God. We'll talk about an example in the Old Testament of someone who used his strengths of influence for positive and negative, and we're going to look at how it ended up for him in the end, and hopefully that will offer us some inspiration. As we walk away today, I hope embracing the fact that we all can influence other people. You don't have to be a famous movie star or have some kind of public public platform to influence people, which was revealed by your replies just now. So thank you for doing that. Uh, there was one public figure, and now I'm intrigued and want to find out more information about this person. It's called Roman, At or his name is Roman Atwood. He is a YouTube blogger or vlogger. Have you ever heard of him? Will you clap? 
A few of you have. I'm really interested to look that up. But here are the other responses that you all said. A teacher, a grandma, uh, your friend's father, a surrogate mother, your church, your mother, your father, your husband, your wife, your coach, a daughter, a son, a best friend, a father-in-law, a mentor, and a boss, and some pastors. As some of you were writing to, to me, sharing who has influenced you, you were putting why. And uh, we took, or Scott took, I refused to go yesterday, our daughter back to college. And um, I am a wuss when it comes to emotions and saying goodbye. So I packed her up and did all the mama things. And then I wished them farewell and said I needed to work on a sermon. But uh, so maybe I'm just a little emotional. But the fact that you guys, the, the thoughts that you said about the people who have impacted you and influenced you, if if these people are still with us on this earth and have not moved to life in the church triumphant, I really would invite you to take just a few minutes and tell them what you told me. Because at the end of the day, and that's one of the reasons that we're talking about this today, I really believe people just want to know that they've made a difference. When I find that there's ick or turmoil in, in the church or in an organization, it usually traces back to whether uh, or not people know that they matter. And you know, I do believe sometimes we really, we really mess up on that. I know I do. And in, in communicating to other people, hey, you make a difference. You make a difference in my life. You make a difference in this organization, you make a difference on this earth. People want and need to know that they make a difference. So later on, or if you're really bored, you can go ahead and do it now. I'll know that you're bored by the radiation of the light on your face. Uh, Go on and tell these people what they mean to you. Because guess what? People, yes, I see you waving your phones at me in the back. Thank you. Uh, People do want to know that they make a difference. So this morning, I'm going to tell you a story about a guy named Jacob. Have you heard of Jacob? If you will, clap. If you have no idea who this person is, if you will, clap. All right, a few of you, good. Um, I always like it when you don't have any background information on biblical characters. It makes my job really fun. And that way you also know that I don't screw up or you don't know if I screw up. So Jacob was this guy, that was funny, thank you. Uh, Jacob is this guy from the Old Testament. He is known as one of the patriarchs of the Jewish faith. Ultimately, at the end of the day, he is the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. He gives, he and his wives, wives give birth to sons, 12 different sons, and they end up overseeing the 12 tribes of Israel. But that is not how his life started out. But Jacob has the key qualities of someone who is a strong influencer. So he really did use all the gifts that God had given him to influence others. But it's so interesting to see how his journey started because he ends up like this great patriarch of faith, but that is not how it all began. He was born to Isaac and Rebecca, and they went barren for like 20 years and never thought they were going to have a child. And then finally, she became pregnant. And in her pregnancy, she was experiencing a lot of physical pain. And so she was praying to God and scriptures in Genesis tell us that God revealed to her through, through a prophecy moment that she was going to give birth to twins. And the reason that she was in so much pain is that the twins were fighting one another 
in the womb. And that ended up being Jacob and Esau. She ended up giving birth. Esau was the older of the two twins. He comes out and we read in scripture that he looked fully formed and they named him Esau, meaning hairy. He came out with red hair all over his body and scriptures tell us that he was fully formed. Well, then Jacob comes out of the womb and we read that Jacob was grabbing on to the heel of Esau when he was born. So they called him, they named him Jacob and that meant heel grabber or leg puller. Have you ever heard of the phrase, uh, they're pulling your leg? Well, if you, in a minute, when we talk through the rest of the story, you can see that that's where we believe that this term comes from, a leg puller. Somebody that's not telling you the uh, the whole truth, perhaps they're joking with you. So that's what they named Jacob. Now, Jacob and Esau, even though they were twins, they could not be two more different people. Esau was like his dad. He was big and burly and he was a hunter and an expert marksman. And so he and his dad had that in common. And, and you read in scriptures that the father favored Esau, but the mother mother, Rebecca, favored Jacob. So now remember, Esau's this avid hunter and Jacob, they say, was a a mild-mannered person who just hung out around the tents. And so one day, Esau comes back to the tents and Jacob's there and he is famished because he's been out on the field all day long hunting. And he's so hungry, he comes up to Jacob and Jacob had made some delicious stew. And he was so hungry, he said, hey, you know, I'll give you, I'll give you my birthright if you will give me some of that stew. And, and well, Jacob asked him to do that. And he said, okay, I'm so hungry. I will do that. And so he did. So then time passes and they continue their, their living. And so there was like a birthright and a blessing. There were two different parts to their inheritance. So later on in their lives, Isaac, their dad becomes blind. He is nearing death in his old age. He's blind. And Rebecca, the mother who favored Jacob, Jacob, they start having this conversation because Isaac, the, the dad who was getting ready to die, wants to give the blessing, basically the inheritance to Esau, to the older brother. And so he starts talking about the fact that it's time to give him his inheritance. So he calls for Esau. Well, the mom, Rebecca, decides, mm, you know what? Esau is not really the one who deserves this blessing. Jacob does. So they begin this phenomenal plot for him to be the inheritor. I want you to listen to just a little bit of the scripture passage. It's a little longer than what I normally read, but I want you to see what happens because I want you to see the manipulation that Jacob uh, actually enters into against his brother Esau. Because one of the things that I think happens to us in our lives, I know it happens in mine, is lots of times I feel like, you know, we just, I don't have enough power or impact to have an influence. Usually, like on Sunday morning, there's there's an energy and a, and a vitality that exists in this place when we're all gathered together and we're worshiping God, which is what we're here to do. My job is to help us lead to do that. But then by Monday, when I get our stats report, if, if attendance is down or if our money's down, then I'm convinced by Monday night that I have killed 
the church. The strategic team loves it when I have weeks like that because then my subsequent emails to them are, they hate me, I suck as a pastor, I think it's time for me to move because in the Methodist church, they move you around. Amy Coles is my mentor. Typically, I write her and say, I've killed the church. She writes back, no, you have not with little periods in between the words and we go through that. Do you ever feel like that? Do you ever feel like, I mean, really that you just stink? That you don't make a difference? I mean, truly, I guarantee you, if we're vulnerable enough with each other and with ourselves and we admit it, we do. We all struggle and we feel like perhaps our lives don't matter and that this minuscule opportunity that we have to to make a difference in this world, we're really not doing what we should be doing or how we should be doing it and and we feel this big when, when honestly we have the opportunity to have an impact that is so much bigger than we can possibly imagine. But we don't believe that about ourselves. So that's why I'm telling you the story about Jacob. He ends up being this phenomenal, phenomenal leader. And he gives birth to the, you know, he's a huge part of giving birth to the Jewish nation. But he really screwed up at the beginning. And so that's what I I want you to hear about right now. It's taken from Genesis chapter 27. Now, Rebekah was listening, remember that's his mom, when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it in, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father say to your brother, bring me the game and prepare for me some savory food to eat that I may bless you before God before I die. Now, therefore, obey my word as I command you. Go to the flock. Now, remember, this is the mom talking to the son. I want you to get me two goats so that I may prepare them for savory food for your father, such as he likes. And then you are gonna take it to your father to eat so that he'll bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to his mom, look, my brother Esau is a hairy man. I'm a man of smooth skin. Perhaps my father will feel me and I shall seem to be mocking him. And then he'll bring a curse on myself and not a blessing. And his mother said to him, let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my word. Go get the goats. So he went and he got them. He brought them to his mom. She prepared savory food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of her elder son Esau, which were with her in the house. She put them on her younger son Jacob. She put skins of the goats that he had just killed on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And then she handed him the savory food and the bread that she had prepared. He went into his father and he said, my father, here I am. And the father said, who are you, my son? Remember, he was blind, but he could still very much hear. Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game so that you may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly? He answered, because the Lord your God granted me success. And then Isaac said to Jacob, come near that I may feel you to know whether or not you are really my son Esau. So Jacob went up to his father who felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. And so he blessed him. He said, are you really my son Esau? And Jacob answered, 
I am. Now that is some use of some influencing strengths. The influencing strengths that we have go along with maximizer. That means that we achieve the very best. We strive for excellence in everything. Woo, communication. And, and we're gonna walk through each of those briefly in just a second, but, but I want us to really, really take a look for just a second. Here is this, this man of God, and he wants something so badly He's already got the first part. He already got the birthright. Now he wants the blessing. He wants the inheritance. He wants it so badly that he uses all the skills and the talents that he has to convince his father that he is the right one. And he's got the help of his mom, who is also a, a devout you know, follower, a worshiper of God, of Yahweh. And they, they win. They succeed. Now, the beauty of the rest of the story is, well, first of all, of course Esau finds out. Like dad sent him out to hunt, right? So don't you think he did what he was supposed to do? He went, he killed the game, he came back and he's in there and he's getting ready to go into his dad and he figures out what has happened and he is furious. If you continue reading in Genesis 27, it talks about how he was so angry and then Isaac finds out that they betrayed him and he begins shaking violently and, and scriptures go into tell us that, you know, the whole family ends up torn apart because of this. Jacob runs away to a, to a place called Haran. And then after he stays there for a little while and ends up marrying a couple of different people, then he heads with his whole family to this place called Canaan. Well, Esau uh, had also married out of their tribe, which was not favored upon back then. So Esau also left his homeland and he ended up traveling to Canaan as well. And that's where the problem comes to a head. Jacob's going to Canaan. Esau's already in Canaan. Jacob finds out that Esau's there. There's nowhere else for him to go to with his 400 army people and, and all this stuff. And so he decides that he has to confront his brother. He has a dream. And in this dream, he wrestles with God. That's a whole other sermon for another day. But in this passage, we read that all throughout the night in his dream, he is wrestling with this figure that he can't quite identify. And it, all night long, he's wrestling. And then ultimately, he is not defeated when he wakes up. And so he prays to God and that's when he becomes being called Israel. And so he gets up and, and after that he walks with a limp because the angel of God touched his hip that night in the dream as they were struggling and that was his mark. And so he gets up, realizes that his fraud has caught up with him and he's gotta go confront his brother so he gets all his armies together, he gets his wives together, he gets his children together. And back then, if you'll think about how we used to fight wars where both people, would, you know, both groups would come marching towards each other, that's sort of what this was going to play out like. Esau had his people and, and he's walking word had gotten to him that Jacob was going to come and they were going to meet each other. And so then Jacob gets all his people organized and he puts his wives and his sons in the back to try to protect their safety. But the thing that I think is so powerful about Jacob is even though he knows he's screwed up and even though he knows what's getting ready to happen, he goes to the front. 
So he goes to the front of the line and he starts walking to meet Esau. And when they see each other, Esau runs to him and embraces him and offers him forgiveness. Now Jacob had sent some some gifts and things to him ahead of time expressing his repentance. But in that moment, he didn't have to say anything. He didn't have to do anything. He He just showed up. What if when we feel like we are so insignificant and we don't matter at all and we're not making a difference at all, what if we just show up? What if we reach down deep in our beings and convince ourselves that, that there's something that God can use and we show up? What would God do with each of us and our strengths if we would just show up in that manner? I wanna show you the influencer strengths quickly. The first one is activator. They make things happen. They turn thoughts and ideas and concepts into action. They're go people. They're rarely taking time for the ready, set part of go. The strength of activator gives you the ability to see how to make things happen, to start to make things happen, and then to initiate new things so that they can happen. They learn through doing. A person with this strength influences others by simply doing, and they are very comfortable being judged by what they do. The next one. Command leads you to take charge. You feel no discomfort with imposing your views on others. Once your opinions or your goal is formed, you need to share it with others and align them with you. You are not frightened by confrontation. Rather, you know that confrontation is the first step toward resolution. You need things to be clear between people and challenge them to be clear-eyed and honest. You push them to take risk. You may even intimidate them. Yet people will be drawn to you because you have a presence and you have command. Then we have communication. You like to explain, describe, and speak in public and write. Ideas are a dry beginning. You feel a need to bring them to life, to energize them, to make them exciting and vivid. You believe that most people have a very short attention span. You want your information to be understood and make an impact. It draws you toward dramatic words and powerful word combinations. This is why people like to listen to you. Your word pictures pique their interest, sharpen their world, and inspire them to act. Next. Competition. We don't normally think of competition as being a strength, but it is. It's rooted in comparison, and you're instinctively aware of other people's performance. Their performance is the ultimate yardstick, no matter how hard you tried, no matter how worthy your intentions. If you reached your goal, but you did not outperform your peers, the achievement feels hollow. Other competitors invigorate you. Although you are gracious to your fellow competitors and even stoic in defeat, you don't compete for the fun of competing, you compete to win. Next, 
a maximizer, strives for excellence, not average, and that is the measure. Strengths, whether you or someone else's, fascinate you. When you find a strength, whether in you or in someone else, you feel compelled to nurture it, refine it, and stretch it toward excellence. You are attracted to others who seem to have found and cultivated their own strengths. You avoid those who want to fix you. You don't want to spend your life bemoaning what you lack. Rather, you want to capitalize on the gifts with which you are blessed. Next. With self-assurance, you have faith in your strengths and confidence in your abilities and your judgment. You know that you're able, able to take risks, able to meet new challenges, and most important, able to deliver. No one can tell you what to think. They can guide and suggest, but you alone have the authority to form conclusions, make decisions, and act. This authority, this final accountability for the living of your life does not intimidate you. It feels natural to you. This theme lends you an aura of certainty. Self-assurance withstands many different pressures and keeps you on your course. And finally... Oh, wait, two more. Significance. You want to be very significant and recognized by other people. You want to be heard. You want to stand out and be known for the unique strengths you bring. An independent spirit, you want to work to be a way of, you want your work to be a way of life rather than a job. And in that work, you want to be given free reign, the leeway to do things your way. Your yearnings feel intense to you and you honor those yearnings. And so your life is filled with goals, achievements, or qualifications that you crave. Your significance theme will keep pulling you upward and keeps you reaching. And woo, it stands for winning others over. You enjoy the challenge of meeting new people and getting them to like you. Strangers are rarely intimidating to you, but instead are energizing. You're drawn to them. You want to learn their names and ask them questions and find some area of common interest so that you can strike up a conversation and build rapport. You're rarely at a loss for words. In your world, there are no strangers, only friends you haven't met yet, and lots of them. If you have that strength of woo, we would love to have you on the greeting team here at West, someone that's interested in meeting new people and getting to know their names. Those are the influencing strengths. And believe it or not, we all have those at some place in our strengths list, but they may fall near the end or they may fall near the beginning. But the bottom line is we all have a chance to influence others. And I do believe when we use our strengths and our gifts to have influence, then our lives are changed. Just like I said last week, it's still true today. I want you to take a look at this video clip. This is a real life influencer that's not a couple of uh, several thousand years old from like from the scripture. This is a man whose life started out and he was a troublemaker. He was always in trouble with his mom and with the leaders in his school. And frankly, he even got in trouble with the law. And then he finally found something he really liked. He liked to run. And so he started running and then he ended up being uh, drafted into the war in World War II. We talked about him a couple of years ago here. There's a book about him called Unbroken and there was also a movie made about him. Rather than watching a clip from the movie, I want you to see this clip of, of family members and friends talking about Louis Zamperini. He is a man that would not have told you in his 40s and 50s that he would have influence 
on millions of people. But his life is testimony that each of us, in whatever situation we have, and no matter how insignificant we may feel, we have the power to make a difference. Check this out. Over the 4th of July weekend, the flags of the city flew at half-staff to remember a man we call our hometown hero. And now we're here today to celebrate the life of Louis Zamperini. I was actually on my way to bed on the night of July 2nd, and I heard my cell phone make a little noise and decided to check that last message, and it was Louis's daughter, Cynthia, telling me he had passed away that night. And I got down on my floor and had a, had a good long cry about it. And I felt almost surprised that he had died, even though he was 97 years old, because he seemed immortal. And not just because he had faced death over and over and found a way through every time, but because his spirit was so strong, so vital, that it seemed immortal. My grandfather has been a lot of things to a lot of people. He's a testament to the strength and resilience of the human spirit. But to me, he's always just been my grandpa, the loving, kind, and generous man who went above and beyond to give me a chance at a better life than he had, and the wisdom to be a better man than he was. That's a tough act to follow. While my heart is indeed broken, we won't get to see Louis on the red carpet. His spirit and love of life will remain unbroken for eternity. The last time I talked to him before he passed away, I said, Dad, you're dying today, but your work continues. And his story is being told to millions and millions and millions for years to come. I brought the film to the hospital the day before he went to ICU. And uh, it, it was amazing. It was amazing because he was, it was looking at this beautiful, beautiful face of this 97-year-old man with his still sparkling, beautiful blue eyes and showing him his life. When he first saw the, the planes, it starts with the planes. And he saw Donald and he said under his breath, Phil. And I thought, oh, Phil. He remembers Phil. Like, it had nothing to do with whether or not I did a good shot or whether or not the movie's great. He, didn't, he was just seeing Phil. And when the flak went off, he jumped and had a reaction because that was the war he was in and he remembers those days. And when he was running, when he watched himself running, was, I can't explain what that, I, I felt so privileged to be witnessing this moment, watching somebody who's at the end of their life, watching himself be at the peak of his physical ability and seeing himself with his brother, who, you know, in Louis's mind, he's, he was a very, very devout Christian and believed as soon as he passed away, he would be with Pete again and his mom and dad. And so to watch him reflect and kind of visit with them and remember their times together right before he was preparing to be with them in heaven, it was, it was extraordinary. It's extraordinary. Did you notice that his grandson said, he's just my grandpa? He may be famous to millions of people, but to me, he's just my grandpa. I want to remind you that at the beginning of the service, when I asked you to text me people that have had an influence in your lives, 
The majority of you said teacher, friend, parent, child. And in today's world and today's society where we equate fame with influence, if we were talking about any of those people and if they were speaking for themselves, most likely they would say, well, I was just such and such. But did you notice that when they talked about the the reality of his death, they said that they couldn't believe that he died because his spirit and his will were so vital and strong, it seemed like it would go on forever. We all have that opportunity. Each one of us, no matter how much we may think we are insignificant or we are just something, we all have the power and the strength of influence. And we can be just something to somebody today. Will you use that power and that strength? Let us pray. Gracious God, you have given us all power and strength And sometimes we get so caught up in our self-esteem and our pride and our ego and we feel so insignificant, God, that we forget to look at how you can use us. So I just ask right now that to each person that is in this room and everybody that's worshiping with us online, God, show us who it is that we really are. Because at the end of the day, when our friends and our family celebrate our lives, because we have moved from this life to the next, how wonderful and powerful could it be if they say about us that our spirit and our will was so vital and strong that it is immortal? God, if we would live each day as if we can be immortal by the way that we love one another, what a difference we will make. God, hold us in your strength and show us our own. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So this quote is attributed to Nelson Mandela, but actually he used it in his inauguration speech. It was written by Marianne Williamson two years before. And this is our benediction for today. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, and fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You're a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There's nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just in some of us, it's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we're liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. May we go and be a people that let our light shine and liberates all people. Go in peace. Amen. 